you dismiss your kids or do what you do with them, and then Pastor Stokes is going to speak to us and teach us in the Word of God today. All right, I gave you a few seconds to decide what to do with your kids, huh? So, we are in a series, really, that's about the second coming and the kingdom to come. But for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the gospel. Now, this feels like a sidetrack, but it's not, because we're really addressing the issue of the centrality of Israel to the plan of God. And the plan of God is not just the salvation of individuals, but of the restoration of the entire creation of God. So we looked at the gospel, that good news that announces peace, good things of joy, salvation, and the reign of God, of the God of Israel over the whole earth. And we saw that the basis of this gospel is found in Isaiah 52 and 53 that uh, expresses uh, the death and resurrection of Yeshua, or Jesus, as the suffering servant. Um, it includes an understanding that he has ascended into heaven. That's what we looked at this week in Ascension. And he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the Father to make his enemies a footstool, to return him at a time that only the Father knows, at that time, he will receive his kingdom in full, and he will sit on the throne of his father David in Jerusalem, and Israel will be the head of the nations, not the tail of the nations. And this good news is to the Jew first, and also to those of us who are from the nations. Now, in the last three weeks, I've talked about the gospel and the Jews, and I said that Paul explained why many Jews of several types in his day were resistant to that gospel. I then explained how the gospel had been changed in the Christian context that ended up making it extremely difficult for Jews to understand Jesus, let alone accept him as their Messiah. And then last week, I looked through the history of Judaism and the dynamics in, our own, uh, in its history that make the gospel, even as it was expressed in its initial Jewish context, to be unacceptable by Jews in our day. And I explained that the Jews today, as in the time of Paul, are not monolithic, but they have differences in culture, differences in denomination, and differences with regard to Zionism and political issues. So, today... Jews largely reject the gospel for both biblical and Jewish reasons. The Jewish reasons are what we've talked about. They don't think Jesus brought uh, the kingdom together. But by biblical, I mean that the plan of God that is argued by Paul is that Israel has been hardened. This hardening has two functions. One is to cut off certain people from Israel. In Romans 9, Paul says, not everyone who is from Abraham is Israel. And he gives that explanation. In other words, God has hardened some Jews who have rejected him. Now that's true of Gentiles as well. The second reason for the hardening is so that the fullness of the Gentiles can come in. And when that is done, 
all Israel will be saved, and the kingdom will come in full at the return of Jesus. Those Jews who partially are hardened to the gospel, Paul calls them enemies of the gospel, but he says they're part of the remnant that remains, and Paul calls them beloved and chosen by God for the sake of the patriarchs. Now we can't fully understand this, and we must not see this as a separate means of salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith, and that as a gift from God. But Paul understands that even with that mystery of that remnant, there are some Jews who can be saved by the means of the gospel through becoming jealous as the Gentiles come to faith. And that he expresses in Romans 11, which we looked at uh, last time, 11.11, where he says, Did they stumble, meaning Israel, so as to fall? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now if the transgression is riches of the world, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much will their fulfillment be? And I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am the apostle to Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow, somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Now he goes on to talk about uh, Paul is wanting us to understand, we Gentiles who have been grafted in, that some of the Jews have been broken off. He doesn't say they've all been broken off, and only uh, the apostles and the Gentiles are, are in there. There are Jews who were not broken off, and there were some that were broken off. That's part of that uh, rejection of those who rejected God. And then he says that what is going on is we are being uh, grafted in. And he says even those who were broken off can be grafted back in. And so Paul is interested in that. So he believes that we can make Jews jealous. And he believes that that can have the effect of bringing some of them to faith in Yeshua through the gospel. The question that he doesn't answer is how to do this. And that's the subject of this week. How do we provoke to jealousy secular Jews, reformed Jews, orthodox, both modern and very traditional, the ultra-orthodox, and conservative Jews? How do we, like Paul, become all things to all Jews so that we might reach some of them? Well, Paul's going to give us some understanding of this in Romans 11, verses 25 to 29. So, I'd like you to look at that. He says, I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimations. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove the ungodliness of Jacob, that's Israel. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. 
So Paul says in verse 28, from the standpoint of the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, God's election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now, I don't have time to go into that in more detail, or I'll be pushing this off even more weeks, but I want to get back to the main part of this series. But let me tell you, that if you have gotten in your Sunday school mindset that God sent every Jew that came out of the Exodus except Joshua and Caleb to hell, you have misunderstood God's faithfulness and His forgiveness of Israel. While they suffered in that generation, even Moses didn't make it into the land. But Moses wasn't lost. We have to be very careful for thinking that when God corrects people, it means they end up being lost. When he corrects them, he is disciplining them so that he will not condemn them with the world. And we have to be really careful about believing that people who fall under judgment by God are therefore unsaved. It may, in fact, be just the opposite. So... How do we provoke Jews to jealousy? Now, I've pondered this for many years. I was unable to even begin this when I first became a Christian because I was formed, if you can call it forming, uh, in the parachurch movement in Youth for Christ with a very oversimplistic gospel and a replacement theology mindset. And then after my arrogant rebellion against God, which I won't repeat here because you know it well, I began to look at the scriptures with new, humbled, and broken eyes. I began to see the place of Israel in the purpose of God. And that helped me, but I still saw Israel as a means to the end. Well, God's got to do this because he said he's going to do it with Israel. I wasn't thinking of the actual people. Then one day, God opened my eyes to the confusion and pain that is common among Jews. In my undergraduate studies, I had a Jewish professor of psychology. I was almost 30 at this time, uh, and I enjoyed her classes. She was a very good professor. And one day she invited me to her office. And she said, Bruce, you're a minister, correct? And I said, yes. And she then asked, in a roundabout way, if I would consider baptizing her children. I was floored. I said, I don't, I don't understand. You're, you're a Jew. I think you're a religious Jew. You live in Fairfax, the Fairfax district of L.A., which is a big Jewish community. Have your children become Christians? And I could see fear in her eyes. And she said, no. But we're moving to Orange County from Fairfax. And we've heard that that area is very anti-Semitic. And our children are going to have to go to public school. And I thought if they were baptized, had a certificate of baptism, it might be safer for them. Now, for some of you, you don't know the background of that, but there was a time when the public schools, you could prove your identity with a baptism certificate. Those days are long gone. There's a lot of confusion about what this all means. But for me, for the first time, I understood the terrible impact of anti-Semitism on post-Holocaust Jews. 
And I went home and I promised God that no Jewish person would ever have to fear my faith in their Messiah. And my path as a Judeo-Christian then began. My passion to understand the relationship and the conflict between Judaism and Christianity and Jews and Christians brought me ultimately to the founding of this, create, this congregation. Now, grateful that God has forgiven me by grace through faith, I became obsessed with living towards the culmination of all that God is doing, not what the church is doing. And that included noticing that it was becoming harder and harder to bring Gentiles to the faith. And at the same time, there was this remnant of Jews who were beginning to come to faith in Yeshua. Not as Christians, but as Jews. This thing called the Messianic Jewish movement. I became convinced that I could be part of the desire of Paul to reach his people through jealousy. Jealousy, not envy. Not coveting. There is a righteous jealousy and there is unrighteous jealousy, which is actually envy and coveting. God is a righteously jealous God. That which is actually His should not be given to another. He deserves our worship and we are to have no God but Him. Israel provoked Him to anger and jealousy by serving other gods. It is not wrong for a husband or a wife to be jealous when another person is trying to draw their spouse away from them. Envying or coveting is when you want the wife or the husband of another person that belongs to someone else. That's sin. But a righteous jealousy is to want what is rightfully yours. So we Gentile Christians have to show an attraction to and a reverence for the things that belong to Israel by promise so that they will want what is rightfully theirs. This is kind of like a child who is ignoring their toys until another child starts enjoying them. Then suddenly they want what is rightfully theirs. What is rightfully promised to Israel, according to Paul, is the adoption as sons, that's about the end of time, the glory and the covenants, which lead to that, the giving of the Torah, the temple's service, and the promises. And he says it includes the patriarchs from whom the Messiah, according to the flesh, came. Now today, we give the Jews a gospel totally absent of these things. Except... We have Jesus, but we've divorced him from his people, his Jewishness, his piety within Judaism, and his promise to sit on the throne of David over the whole house of Israel with the, with the disciples sitting on thrones judging the tribes of Israel. None of that is mentioned. So I want you to imagine a Christianity that rejoices in the grace of God. To hope for these things for Israel. And imagine a Christianity that reflects the essence of these things through our liturgy, our life cycle rituals, our holy days, while we await the restoration of the kingdom to Israel and for Israel to live a full Torah observance in the full blessing of God and in peace. 
I dare say that might be attractive to some of them. And that might provoke them to envy or jealousy or wanting what is actually theirs. When we want it more than they want it themselves, they may want it more as well. So how are we going to do this? Well, if Gentile Christians are going to provoke Jews to jealousy, we have to really know them. This must be relational. Not a relationship with the goal of reaching them with the gospel. But a goal of embracing Jews as the chosen people of God. People who are connected uh, to us and we to them by grace through faith in the Messiah of Israel. As Ruth said, and I want to turn to Ruth because the, God, the book of Ruth is going to be read in the synagogues uh, this weekend, as we, this next weekend for Shavuot, and we will mention it in our Pentecost service. Here's what Ruth said when Naomi said, go back to your people. Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. Wow. Now, I want you to know something. Ruth was not becoming a Jew. She is aligning herself with the Israel of God and the God of Israel. She is being brought near, even though she had been afar off, particularly for a Moabite. And Paul explains that we Gentiles in Ephesians have been brought near by the cross. Near where? Near to Israel who is near to God. And there is now peace. He is our peace, he says, between both the Jews and the nations. That peace between the nations will come in its fullness when the kingdom establishes itself. However, it is manifest, or it's supposed to be manifest, in us now. We must see ourselves as in relationship with Israel, and that means having relationships with Jews of all types. And in those relationships, if genuinely out of love we interact with them, they will be provoked to a closer connection to their God and His promises chief among them being the Messiah of Israel and the kingdom to come. So the starting place is to become friends. I mean real friends with Jewish people. To be a friend is to care about them, to be protective of them, not as a project, but as a person of value. So as you find Jewish people in the networks of your life, your relationships, co-workers, neighbors, doctors or other professionals, maybe intermarried to your relatives and in common interest organizations that you belong to. You should seek to be their friend for their good, not yours. And if that relationship blooms, you will have an opportunity to draw them closer to God and His promises, which are fulfilled in the gospel of peace, the good things of joy, salvation, Yeshua, and the reign of the God of Israel over the whole earth. Now this is going to be different for different kinds of Jews. 
Secular Jews need to be safe with us to reinforce their Jewish identity and to see in us a love of the things that they have dropped in their secularism. Things like Shabbat. Things like uh, the praise of God. Things like enjoying and being comforted and, and finding help in the, uh, the mourning rituals. Our desire to see the promises fulfilled in Israel by the coming of the Messiah may still uh, seem, seem curious to them who may have a secular Zionism, but we can show them the greater promise. Now, religious Jews will be different. They will need to see that we are seeking to follow their God with our adapted understanding of Torah, not a rejection of Torah. And the more you let them explain Judaism to you, rather than you try to tell them what the Torah says, the better a friend you will be. Because they expect Christians to reject Judaism and to be anti-Semitic. We want to thrive in regard to the God of Israel and Torah, and we can be grateful that they become a light to us as they follow God. And that will be somewhat different for Reformed Jews, and for conservative Jews, and for modern Orthodox Jews. Now the ultra-Orthodox or Haredim, we will not be able to be friends very easily, because they tend to isolate themselves. But we can be vocal to defend them, and all Jews, from anti-Semitic attacks, especially if those attacks are coming from Christians. We have a lot of repair to do in this area. Also, we can contribute to Jewish causes, showing the genuineness of our friendship and support. That's one of the purposes of Zedekah. As Paul said to the Gentiles, you have, re, re, uh, you have been given their spiritual things, you should give to them of the carnal things, right? Also, we need to be regular in prayer for Israel and for Jerusalem and for any Jews we know personally. That's very important. And we also need to pray that God gives us opportunities to minister to Jewish people and to be supportive of them. All of this needs to be a part of who we are without personal agenda. It has to be out of gratitude that God has given us access to all of this through the good news that was preached to us. We must become familiar with Judaism and with the hinge points and hyperlinks that connect Judaism and Christianity. And if we do these things, we will find ways to be, by all means, able to save some of them as Jews who, like Paul and the other apostles, embraced Yeshua as Jews, as Adonai and Mashiach, foretasting the kingdom to come. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how I have done this in the past. One of the things, and some of you have done the same thing. I mean, that's really part of what the Disciple Center is. When we first started the Disciple Center, we would a lot of us spent time going to Jewish bookstores and Judaica shops to buy some of the items we needed and to make friends with the people who worked there, to, to tell them how we loved the God of Israel and the Israel of God and that we thought Shabbat was a wonderful thing. And, and that shocked a lot of them. They were kind of taken aback. 
because that was not their expectation of Christians. We have got to break down that wall. And we have to break down the wall of anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism that is so structurally inherent in the church and much of what Christianity does. And I've done my best to try to show you in the Christian ceremonies that there are hinge points and there are hyperlinks connected to that. As we have run into religious Jews, my family and I, of various places, and we try to be supportive of them and talk positively of their things, they are always amazed when they find out that we're Baptists. And they begin to open up and tell us more about them and about their religious experiences. We begin to find that there is in some of them a common faith in the grace of God and faith in Him to forgive us of our sins, which we understand as having been done through the suffering of the Messiah, though they may not fully see that. They know it's coming. They know it will be done. They know it's going to be done on behalf of them, but they don't fully see that. And we can begin to help with that process. And peradventure God will pull back that veil and let them see that. Now, I believe he won't do that in large part with large numbers of Jews because that remnant that has not bowed the knee to others and, and are serving God are ultimately going to go through a process that will lead to their regathering. And that must come to pass. And God has known that from the beginning and talked about it. It simply is not in Christian theology because of replacement theology. I'm going to try to explain that in more detail in the weeks to come. So we're going to move next into the uh, part of this series where I talk about the creation of man in the image of God and our recreation in the image of his son, both Jew and Gentile, leading towards that time when the kingdom will be restored and then ultimately this creation replaced with the new creation, which has already started, and will be the eternal state. So I have a lot to talk about, but I wanted to get this gospel to the Jews part there because we have a unique opportunity as Judeo-Christians in a disciple center that appreciates and learns from both of these great traditions in a way that we can develop friendships a lot easier than many Christians who will stumble over their anti-Semitism and their anti-Judaism and their anti-Torah uh, mindset because we have a different mindset that I believe is the mindset of the Apostle Paul as it is the mindset of the Messiah himself. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then uh, I'll take some questions and answers on this subject. Father, we're grateful.